morning. It is a good morning. It's a great morning to be here. Great morning to come together. I thank and appreciate every one of you that are here. Some of you are wrapped up like in a cocoon or something, but anyway, uh, it's good to see you here. And just so you know, Wednesday's high is supposed to be about 50 degrees warmer than early this morning. So man, we'll be on a warming trend. It's supposed to be 38 on Wednesday. So anyway, so I uh, just mentioned that to you. So you know, you might have to bring an extra fan or something for Wednesday. But no, it's good that we can be together, and God is so good. Every time it gets cold and stuff like that, I've told the story before. I always think of a little old sister in Christ from Alaska named Clara Bird, who was one of our older members there. And I always got a kick out of her because, man, she toughed it out. I'm telling you, no matter what it was, that little old sister showed up to Bible class and worship and stuff. And she just said, when I talk about people down south calling off service and stuff she said yeah them people down south just aren't as tough as us people from Alaska so anyway uh, you know it's just kind of fun to see how it is from one place to another but it is good that we can be here and uh, everyone be safe out there and watch those temperatures and uh, this isn't a fashion show dress warmly you know that's for sure so let me mention that but it is great we can be here and we think about those who can't be with us today for one reason or another, and they are definitely in our thoughts and in our prayers. Attitude. Attitude. That's something to talk about, isn't it? Attitude. Now, I think about verse 5 of the context in Philippians 2, and some translations read, have the mind of Christ. The numeric standard says the attitude of Christ. So it's kind of like a mindset, but your attitude is determined by what your mindset on, isn't it? And you think about an attitude, if we always had, as verse 5 says, if we always had the attitude of Jesus in everything we did, boy, wouldn't we be much better people? The attitude of Christ. So understand in verses 1 through 4, we're all talking about the attitude of Jesus, especially when you get on down to verses 3 and 4. But I want to talk about that because... You know, you can look at people. Sometimes, you know, they don't say bad things to you, but when you talk to them, they roll their eyes. Or you talk to them and they don't answer you. Or this, they got attitude problems, which ends up being a sin problem. And so, you know, I, I, here's what I know by reading the scripture. You know who determines my attitude? Me. No, you don't determine my attitude. Well, they made me or they did this. You still got to have the right attitude, the right mindset, no matter what. I think of another one that isn't even in my lesson today, but Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. We've got that mindset. We've got to keep our mindset on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That helps us keep the right attitude. But if you look at this passage, just to see how it starts off here, in verse 1, therefore, I wish we had time to back up and look at how we're to conduct ourselves and how we're to stand firm in the Spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, it says in verse 27. Uh, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any, is there encouragement in Christ? Boy, is there encouragement in Christ. I think about a passage that we mention a lot. And it alone mentions the encouragement that I have, just knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians. I can make it if I'll just depend on the Lord. 
Now, what I've learned in my life when I don't depend on the Lord, you know what I do? Fail. Fail. I'm not even going to use the word to some people. You fall short. Fall short, nothing. I fail. But with Christ, I can be who I need to be. I can accomplish what I need to. But when I try to do it and I this is what I think and this is what I want, yeah, but what's the Lord want? What's he say? And so if there's any encouragement in Christ, all these are pretty much rhetorical statements or questions. If there is any consolation or love or any comfort of love. Now, whenever I hear comfort, is love comforting? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That, that passage was mentioned. Is that comforting to know? That's comforting to know. That God is love. Is that comforting to know? That the brethren love one another. Is that comforting to know? If there is any comfort or consolation in love, turn with me over to a passage. I like this passage a lot. On It's my favorite passage on comfort. It's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to this. We've looked at it before. We're going to look at it again here real quick. Just listen to how many times in the numerous span of the word comfort comes up in these few verses. Verse 3 is where I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are being comforted by God. And just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharing in our suffering, so also you are sharing in our comfort. He kind of wore comfort out in those verses, didn't he? So I'm pretty sure if you want to be comforted by God, this might be a passage you need to look at. If, if this passage doesn't bring you comfort and know where your comfort comes from, you know, sometimes people depend on other people for their comfort. Well, you know what? Sometimes other people can't be there. Sometimes people aren't able to. You've got to depend on the Lord for that comfort. Can he use people to supply that comfort through? Sure. Even Paul talks about that, how those brethren were a comfort to him. And even in their afflictions, they're being afflicted so those brethren could be comforted. But ultimately, all the comfort. So when I read this in Philippians chapter 2, if there is any um, consolation or comfort of love. Well, sure, there is. There, I mean, there's just verse after verse after verse after verse. We could look at that. And then he says, is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Fellowship of the Spirit. Now, here's what I know, and I'm going to turn to another passage. Uh, back over in 2 Corinthians. I'll give it to you here in a minute. But um, Fellowship in the Spirit. Fellowship, agreement, partnership, sharing. That's what the word means, being a part of, in the Spirit. Hmm. You know, God is light, First John, we read it there, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and his blood cleanses us from all sin. 
Now, I know we can look, and I'm not going to take time to cover it all today. If you're in fellowship, let me just ask you, and you guys know these answers already without even turning to the passages. If you're in fellowship with God the Father, must you also be in fellowship with Jesus Christ? Must you also be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Because they won't, any of those three will not fellowship anyone that the rest of them won't. As a matter of fact, they can't. And so whenever you read about fellowship in Christ or fellowship with the Father or fellowship in the Spirit, it's all the same. Well, if there is no fellowship, uh uh-oh, that sounds like back to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, or 2 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that sounds like separation. Now, I don't want separation. I want fellowship. So one other passage I think is interesting in uh, 2 Corinthians. <coughs> it's the very last verse of the entire letter. Just look what he says here. When he closes it out, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now I want you to notice what he said. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that important? It's essential for my salvation. The love of God, without it, there wouldn't have been an offer of salvation. And the fellowship of the Spirit, isn't that amazing? When I become a Christian, the gift I'm given it there, which is a seal or proof of my salvation, is the Holy Spirit. So you go back to Philippians chapter 2 when we read this. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort or consolation of love? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? And then he says, if there's any affection and compassion compassion. That's an interesting word, compassion. Sometimes in the different translations, they might use the word compassion or show mercy interchangeably. But the idea of being compassionate towards one almost has the idea of you feel what they're feeling. You feel for them and you act accordingly. Always think about, and I'm not going to turn to it, as Luke writes and talks to us about what we know as the Good Samaritan. Well, when he asked about, now who was his neighbor? You look, the Jewish guy didn't say the Samaritan. The one that showed compassion or mercy. It's something that can be shown. Well, how did he show it? He went and rescued the man. He went and cared for the man. He even paid for the man and took him to his safety. Why did he do that? Because he wasn't like everybody else, and he was so, so concerned about his safety, he just walked on by. He just went right by there. No, he showed compassion. Over in Matthew chapter 15, short little verse here. <clears throat> well, I guess it's not that short. But anyway, 1532, this will show you how Jesus is. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint. You remember what happens here? He feeds them. And he doesn't go to Taco Bell. Doesn't go to McDonald's. No, he takes a little bit of food and miraculously make a lot of Why do you do that? Because he just knew, I'll tell you why he does. They're hungry. Now, let me tell you what, they weren't hungry like you and I might be here in a little while for lunch. But if you hadn't eaten in three days, would you be hungry? Now, they were so interested, listen to me, they were so interested in hearing the message from Jesus that they were 
going without food to hear a message from Jesus. So he's just not feeding everyone who says, I want a free meal. He's feeding people who are there to hear that message, and they're giving up, and here's what he's doing. And he felt compassion for them. I would say, you know, three days. I don't know, maybe they had food for the first day, maybe, but now they don't have any food. So he's wondering, are they amening him, or is that their stomach's growling? But he knows they're hungry. So he hurts for them. So compassion, we have to understand, is God compassionate towards us? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that was read in Bible class, that shows his compassion towards us. He showed us his love, didn't he? He demonstrated it. Why? Because he loved us. Because he felt compassion for us. While we were yet sinners, he had compassion on us. Now the question is, do we have compassion on lost people around us? Or do we just kind of blow them off and act like they don't exist? So this Philippians 2, this whole idea of this, it's easy to get lost in it all. And then he goes on and says some things that I just think are amazing in verse 2. Make my joy complete. Huh. So is he saying, I, I think that's an interesting way to say it, but is he telling the brethren there in Philippi, there's something you can do that will even make me more joyful than I already am. That's what he's telling them, right? You can do something that will help me be even more joyful than I already am. Listen to what he says will help him to be more joyful. Hmm. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Wow. Here it is. If you'll be these things, I think about, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's saying doing that, when you're who you need to be, it makes me happier to be who I need to be. When you're more like Christ, I can be more like Christ. What about when you run around a Christian and he's not like Christ at all? Is that encouraging or discouraging? Is that joyful or sorrowful? That's terrible. So when we run behind, get to a person, they're not perfect. Anybody in here perfect? We're not perfect. We're not sinless. If we were sinless, we wouldn't need Jesus. And if you could keep the law perfect, you can be saved under the law of Moses. Well, you won't need saved because you're saved. But the gospel is for people who aren't perfect. I'm one of them. But that doesn't mean you're not faithful because you're not perfect. That's why we have how important is the mercy. Without the mercy of God and the grace that's found in Christ Jesus, I don't stand a chance. But with it, I've sung it since I was a little kid. It's kind of a tough song to sing, really, to hit the Hit it where it's pitched. So usually most of us pitch it low. Blessed assurance. Hmm. We sing that song, and I think usually a lot of people sing that song don't even believe it. Well, no, there's blessed assurance, and we have it in Christ Jesus. But we got to be of the same mind, the same love, united. And I like that point, intent on one purpose. As you look on in the passage, though, of this attitude thing, of having the attitude of Christ. Look what he goes on and says. Verse 3 is a, is a big one to me. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. There's that attitude. 
With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Hmm. Humility. Humility. Well, let's just look at a couple of passages. I wrote down a few I want us to see. Turn with me over to uh, one we know real well, over in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And this is all an attitude thing. In verse 6 it says, But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your uh, joy into gloom. And then he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, the only way to really accomplish when you think about this humility thing, and if you look back at Philippians chapter 2, uh, to have the same mind and maintain the same love and to be united in spirit and intent on the same purpose and to regard one another as more important than yourself, it's going to take humility. Without humility, none of that will be accomplished. Humility is so pivotal. pivotal. Go on to, to look at just a couple others on that point. They're straight to the point. Go over to, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, verse 24, and then I'm going to look at a couple of passages in John. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Huh. Is that kind of what he was talking about there in Philippians 2, of regarding someone else more important than yourself? So don't get me wrong, I came here to worship today, and I was looking forward to it. I knew it's going to be chilly outside, you know, you know all those things, but you know, but you can hardly wait. I look forward to seeing you, and hopefully, my presence is encouraging to you, like your presence is encouraging to me. But I'm here to give glory to God and to lift Him up and to magnify His name. But I also think about the point. One of the reasons I'm here is because I owe it to you. I owe that to you. If I'm not here, I'm taking something. Now, I might be at someplace else holding a gospel meeting or worshiping. I could be doing that. But you'll usually know that. But what if I just um, stayed home today because tomorrow's the last day of bow season for deer in uh, Missouri, so i got to set the stand today instead of coming to worship. Is that putting you ahead of me? Not hardly. So he says we got to consider other people. This Christianity isn't just about us. It's about how we affect others. Look what Jesus said. Go to John 15 first, and then we're going to go to John 13. John 15. You guys are going to know the verse as soon as I read it, and I'm going to tell you what it says even before I read it. Greater love has no one than this for one to lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Can you do anything physically bigger for anybody than die for them? Nope. Did someone give up his life and die for us? And it isn't even what it benefited us physically, it's what benefited us spiritually. 
And I even think him dying for us, that's big. But I even think him leaving heaven to start with is maybe even bigger than that. But he says, let me tell you what. When you'll put people to the point you'll die in their place. Wow. Look at another one. John chapter 13. Just so we see what it says. John 13. Uh, we'll read 34 and 35. First of all, 34 says a new commandment. Now, this is different than the Old Testament commandment of love. The Old Testament says you have to um, love your neighbor as yourself. So that means I have to, if I got to love my neighbor, that means I got to treat Vernon the way I would want to be treated myself. Well, let's see what it says here, this new commandment. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love, uh-oh. Now loving Vernon the way I love myself isn't enough. Now i got to love Vernon more than myself. This is getting ridiculous. No, it's big, isn't it? And then he says in verse 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have loved ones, if you put each other first. That's noticeable to people. When you put other people first, so I think back to this passage in Philippians chapter 2 about this humility and this idea of being who we need to be and putting him first and having this attitude of Christ. Just a couple of passages on the attitude that I think are mag, just magnificent passages on the attitude of Christ. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to read verse 28 here in just a minute. Matthew 20. And verse 28. And then I want us to think about what it says here. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Huh. So let's say, let's get this idea of ransom down. So someone's got you under gunpoint, and they tell the police that's got him outside, we'll let all them go. If you'll just send Kendall in, because we want to we want to do him in. If you send him in, we'll let all of them go. Police say we can't do that. You know, I can decide to do I'm going in so they can get out. You give your life around. You put them ahead of yourself. So when you look at this passage, here's what Jesus did. It says here, he didn't come to be served. He came to. Did he deserve service? He did, didn't he? Let's say all of a sudden you go to out to eat somewhere. And you're there and it's crowded. And all of a sudden it's like it's happened in the last few years everywhere. And the poor little waitress, three other waitresses didn't show up. And she's running herself ragged. And you tell her, I'll get those drinks for you. Don't worry, I'll take that over there then. You know, most of us wouldn't do that. We'd just say, oh, that poor girl. And we'd do absolutely nothing. You know why that is? Because we're not interested in serving other people. We're interested in being served. It says, here it is. This is what made Jesus would have been the guy who said, hey, let me help you. And he would have done service and maybe not even ate, the, ate a meal. Of course, when he got tips, you know what else he done? He'd pass them back to her. Because he's here to serve, not be served. 
Now, I want you to think about that in the church. How important is it we have that attitude in the church? We're here to serve. Hmm. Now, we just had a skiff of snow. But let's say we get a pretty good snow out here. So I want to ask you this. Get a pretty good snow. If there's going to be a pretty good snow, I say, would it be good if the porch area shoveled off? Were you going to think show up early to shovel it off, or are you going to think somebody else is going to do it? I know what we usually do. Someone else take care of it. And we show, how come nobody did that? I don't know, where were you an hour ago? Why didn't you get here and do that? We can be like that, can't we? We forget we're here to serve, not be served. And that is an attitude thing, isn't it? For sure, the mind of Christ. So, and we'll get back to it in a minute, verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And one more real quick on that point. Go with me back to 1 Peter chapter 2. I love this portion of Scripture. A lot of times we just read verse 21 and we stop, but we're going to read a few more verses today. 1 Peter 2, uh, listen to this. Just listen to this and think about the mindset, the attitude of Christ. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, he did, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile. You talk bad about me, I'll give it right back to you. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Now I want you to think about that. Do we ever sing a song? Well, we do. We sing a song. He could have called 10,000 angels. What's that song say? He was in control. Could he have stopped it? But instead, he just trusted the Lord. He just trusted God to take care of it. He couldn't take care of it himself. He could have. No, I'll let them do what they're going to do to me, and I'll just trust you, Father. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds were you healed. I want you to think about that. By his wounds were we healed. Let's say that you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you got stage four such-and-such such cancer, and you got about a month to live. There is a cure for it, but here's what the cure has to be. we got to find someone else who's perfectly healthy, and we got to start cutting large chunks of flesh out of it. But the thing is, is we can't sew it up after we cut it out, and we can't deaden anything when we're cutting it out. If you can find a volunteer, you can be healed of your cancer. Any volunteers? No, so you look, oh, you know, what? He's got to be harmed so I can be healthy? Yeah. That's kind of exactly what happened with Jesus, isn't it? He had to submit himself to harm so you and I could be healed. If we can't show tremendous love and appreciation for that, we don't grasp what he did for us. He was harmed so I could be healthy. That is, and he's talking about healthy spiritually. So let's read on. For you were continually straying like sheep. Yeah, been there and done that. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Now, we kind of miss that, and I know I even miss that, and I've studied a lot about shepherds and sheep and how it worked in that day. 
and how the sheep knew the shepherd. They'd put all them herds of sheep together, and the shepherd would call his herd, and his herd would come to him, and they wouldn't go to the other shepherds because they knew them. It's kind of like you walk into a house, and they got a dog, and you know the name, and the owner knows the name. Who they go to? I guarantee you, that crazy little dog of ours, you can be gone for a little while and come home. You think that you've been gone for a thousand years. She's going nuts. Now, she likes to see other people, but when it was one of them, it's a whole nother ball game. You know why? Because she knows who the boss, she knows who the owner is. I want to ask you something. Do we get that excited about Jesus? Are we that excited to see Jesus return? And so you look at this passage, it is incredibly powerful. One more before we turn back to Philippians. You guys know I love it. So I couldn't talk about this attitude of Christ without going to this passage. Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read it again, verses 7 and 8. For not one of us lives for himself, not one of us dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Is that talking about attitude too? That mindset? That is that mindset. So if you jump back to Philippians, and we'll tie all this together real quick. He says, do not merely look out, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. I only remember one person ever saying to me this in, their, in, their, in my whole life. I've had people different places I preached come show up and <clears throat> say, well, we just moved into the area and we're looking for a church home. Oh, yeah? And you see, they might be looking for someone. they got young people. We're looking for a very active youth group. Or we're looking for this. or we're look I've only ever had one guy ever say, we're looking for a faithful congregation where we can serve. Oh, you just found it. I like people like that. We, we want to come where we can go to work. Did the rest of you hear that? <laughs> you know, you just think about that and hold on to that. We have to remember whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, and we're ready to do what the Lord has called us to do. But we have to remember we're not merely looking out for our own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Hmm. Wow. You look at that, I think about us. People are raising kids. We used to be there a long time ago in our household. And is that demanding when you got kids? Let's say you got, well, here, I'll go to my expense. You got four kids at home. One of them gets sick Sunday morning. Someone going to have to take care of them, stay home with them? And what I found out with four kids, four kids never get sick at the same time. They just overlap, 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 and it takes a long time. Now, i got to be honest about this. You know how many times I stayed home from church services to take care of the kids? Zero. Zero times. People say, well, that's terrible. I kind of had to. But, so Tammy had to deal with that. Sometimes I remember when they were I feel like I haven't been to church in a year. Hmm. I always tell people when they talk about having to bring their kids or self, I said, Tammy did that all of her life. Because I never sat there with those kids. She would talk about the time I snapped my finger and one of my kids thought they were in trouble because I snapped my finger and they were in trouble. She said, could you work that into a lesson every couple of times? You know, but So you look at that and you think about this 
And we don't just look out for our own interest, just like a mother takes, oh, it's kind of like, I always like the analogy of the hen and the chicks under their wings. I tell you what, you can watch that. Oh, roosters, they're kind of mean old tough things. You get a mama hen with chicks, and that rooster ain't going to mess with her much. She'll only do it once. She'll only I've even watched that with bears. You know, them big old boars, they want to kill them cubs. I'm telling you, that mom will fight him to the death to keep him away from them cubs. I mean, she might be outweighed and outplayed twice, but the tenacity of that mom is unbelievable. You know why? Because she's more interested in their welfare than her welfare. Isn't that the idea of what he's saying here? We're more interested in each other. So then he says, after saying that, have this mind or attitude in yourself which is also in Christ Jesus. So I always think, from the time I was a boy, I learned Christian meant like Christ. So Kendall, one day when you become a Christian, they told me this when you were a kid, when you become a Christian, then your responsibility is to be as much like Jesus. So I didn't have to start wearing sandals. And I'm of the opinion Jesus didn't have long hair. But anyway, I didn't have to start doing all those things. But my mindset had to be like his, and my attitude had to be like his, and it's got to become more like him. And we never, when do we all finally attain that we're just like him? If we had time, we'd look over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. That's how growth happens in the church. We work as individuals to be more like Jesus, and we help each other be more like Jesus. And that's how the church grows. When we're not set on that. So I want you to think about today the attitude. Of Anyone ever told you you had a bad attitude? Yeah, I've been told that before times. Man, you need to straighten your attitude up. Sometimes my parents tried to beat that bad attitude out of you. Right? But you get, you get a bad attitude. But a good attitude goes a long ways, doesn't it? I still think it's interesting, like 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, evil company corrupts good morals. Hmm. What's good company do? It encourages one another to be more like Christ. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God based on what the Bible says. And you need to, with your own mouth, confess that very fact before others. And you must repent. That means you give your, you change your attitude and your mindset and you become more like Christ. And you must submit to being buried in a watery grave of baptism and raised up with your sins washed away to walk in newness of life. And Jesus adds you to his church, the redeemed family of God. And you're raised to serve, hmm. not to be served. And if you're a Christian, says, you know what? I've kind of been selfish in my Christianity and haven't been focused on serving. I've been more focused on what I'm getting out of it or what I want. I need to get this attitude of Christ. If we can help you any way this morning, please come as we stand and sing.